0: and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. And if you want to find me on social media at Instagram or Facebook, it's at Justin Bizarro. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And so, new year. um, We'll be doing some new episodes. As everyone knows, we've changed the format a little bit. We are now recording and releasing within 24 hours. None of this recording and trying to get it out on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, It's easier and more beneficial for everyone involved if we just record and release so that's one of the changes we're making uh, to the podcast Um, and with the success of the podcast and a lot of the demand so everyone knows we're also launching a food and beverage entrepreneur summit in georgia in the first week of june and we'll be getting dates and times and and sort of a schedule out to everyone for that it's free we're not charging anything it'll be education it'll be meeting people in your industries uh suppliers vendors all that type of stuff uh farmers sort of a fun gathering of food and beverage entrepreneurs and hopefully make some connections and make some friends so with that being said Our first actual interview of 2020, we have Josh House of Pickles and Bones Barbecue back on the episode, and he's from Milford, Ohio. How are you doing today, Josh?
1: I'm great, Justin. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Josh, I mean, episode 11, uh, you were one of the first brave ones to actually get on this podcast and, and complete an episode with us, which is awesome. And interestingly, your episode is still a top 10 episode of all time for the podcast, and you're actually ranked fourth overall out of all the podcasts we've done, which we did we've done. this will be episode number 133. So quite pretty amazing, considering we were at the very beginning back then, um, how well the episode did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I'm definitely proud of that, and, and congratulations to you for uh, for putting it in, in the time and the effort to go and get all those episodes done. I know um, a lot of people talk about doing stuff, and I think the first step is just actually doing it, and uh, congratulations, man, on, on the great first year.
0: No, and I think a lot of it. I mean, I loved our conversation, and, and so everyone knows, and, and Josh and I sort of communicate he, every once in a while here and there over, in, over um, Instagram as well as— text message just one of the things about the podcast and Deborah and I talked about it in the last episode which is sort of all these friendships that are starting to blossom because the people we meet on the podcast that have such similar mindsets and and similar you know thought processes or needs or fears or whatever it is and hardships that they need to know it's going to be okay or they need advice or You know, back and forth, or even when Deborah and I are asking people. And so I think it's pretty cool that 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 happens. That's one of the reasons we're talking about this summit in June, is because there's all these people that are wanting more uh, now that we've done the podcast. So why not just give them an avenue um, to come, you know, offer uh, an event where everyone can just get together, you know, have some educational pieces and some networking pieces and things like that. But bring everyone together for a day. And a night and, you know, do some awards for the podcast for the top episodes and have some fun. So, Josh, um, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about your launch. But, you know, just to give everyone an update and and anyone who hasn't listened to the episode 11, you know, give us a quick rundown of how you started. Because I love your story of basically food trailer to, to brick and mortar.
1: Sure. Yeah. So we started off, we started off in 2015, um, as a little trailer, uh, we started in the, on Sundays only, uh, just in the fall of 2015 to, for more or less to test the concept, but also it was similar to you just like, you know, getting out and doing the podcast. It was our, it was our time to just do it. Uh, we talked about it for years. We had bought a food trailer been sitting in our, driveway, slowly working on it when we had time. Um, I was still working as an executive chef at the time, so um, as everybody knows, that takes up uh, a full-time job, plus plus, um, um, plus we have three small children, so um, we decided to just start it off, and uh, we started that fall 15 uh, Sundays only. We did, I think, 10 Sundays, um, and it really gave us the confidence that going into that winter, uh, we started looking at the spring and saying, like, we're going to do this full-time, so Uh, We parked, we found a parking lot uh, right around the corner from our house. Um, Somebody was willing to let us rent it for a very fair rate. We installed an electrical pole. We put our trailer in there uh, with hopes of, I know a lot of people have success in in markets, uh, you know, driving the trailer around, taking the truck around. But for us, it was really, we really wanted to become a a fixture in the community. So we said, we're going to park here. We're going to stay in the same spot every single day. Uh, we established regular hours just like a normal business. Uh, and it just happened to be we were operating out of a trailer. And then that was May of 2016. Uh, in last day, November 30th of the 2017, uh, we opened a brick and mortar carryout location, uh, in our current, in our current spot, uh, directly across the street from where we were. And we're going on, you know, we're, you know, knock on wood, we're going on uh, four years of being in business full time, uh, coming this May.
0: Well, and I, and I love what you guys have done. I mean, you started and you tested your market and one of the things that if in this didn't happen, but what could have happened is if it didn't work, you were able to basically pick up the trailer and test a different market and in the community. But what it would happen is it worked so well that you actually moved into a space across the street.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the one the the great benefit of the trailer, and I think one thing that's that's so nice about it is, you know, we all know the investment that it takes to open up a full uh, a full service restaurant or even a a quick service restaurant, and most of us that come in through the restaurant business, we don't have that kind of money. Um, restaurants, especially startups, are not very bankable. So to be able to put a little bit of money into a trailer and something that's completely liquid basically if we had to if we had to if we would have fallen on our faces um most likely we would have just started back over again with a different concept or worst case scenario we could have sold everything and i could have went back to work um it doesn't seem fathomable like at this time that that would have ever happened but you know it kind of gives you the flexibility once you once you sign your name on the dotted line for that big restaurant lease or that big loan um there's no turning back. You really got to be sure that, that you've tested the concept and put in the work and make sure that you're going to give yourself at least a, a fair shot out there.
0: And so, I mean, we didn't really dive too far into this but on the last episode, but I really want to sort of dive into it on this one is sort of that initial startup. Once you've committed to, to open the restaurant, I, and I want to be realistic about this, is how much time... Were you and your wife spending, you talked about your, your three young kids, but you were really diving in. Now you're signing the lease on a brick and mortar and you're trying to launch this business.
1: Well, it, it actually as I think as you, as you grow, uh, I think it actually, if, in my opinion, if you're doing things right, I think it starts to become easier. Now, obviously that initial time when we were operating out of the trailer, um, you know, we we're operating all we do all wood barbecue um, cooked over fire, and there was quite a few nights where I slept in my truck next to the trailer with the smokers going because we didn't have the space to keep up with demand, and the only way to do it um, was to you know get stuff on the smokers late in the day and watch them overnight until the stuff was ready. So early on, then you know there was a lot of 20 hour days, 19 hour days, 21 hour days, and because there's no other way once you once you're committed to that you know that's kind of what you have to do when we opened the brick and mortar carry out you know there was certainly a lot of that but with the growth uh, you know became more space it gave us opportunity at least with a reasonable expectation that we would do some more revenue uh, to hire hire a prep cook a full-time prep cook to do some of that work so that uh, there wasn't quite so many but even in that first year, there was a lot of start at eight o'clock in the morning and finish at two o'clock in the morning days. And now I'm really happy to say that uh, we've got to a point where those days are, you know, they're very few and far between now.
0: And I think it's hugely important because I think a lot of people, as we've done this podcast, the questions and sort of, for lack of a better term, the naivety of what it takes to start a business and and what you're talking about is it is those 20 hours and i don't care whether you're you're starting a food business for that's just marketing and packaging items or you're doing whatever and even in my career those 20 hour days seem to creep back into my life. You know, right now yeah. we're working on this huge project in Georgia. It's no doubt that I probably sleep 4 to 6 hours a night max because e- yeah. and even on weekends I'm having to work on stuff and answer emails. So they come back into our lives as we grow. But what people don't understand is it's it's there's a lot of time that you have to put in to to start your business like you did. Um, and there's a lot of learning that you have to do when you're doing that. So to skip over it or try to expedite that process, I think it's a mistake because you learn so much during those hardships about your business and how to coach people that will eventually work for you that I think it's um, it's very important that we all go through it. What are your thoughts?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. You You can't. I don't think you can get to a point where you feel like you're successful, or you and and I also don't think you'll get to a point where you feel like you've actually grown um, both personally, professionally, and as a business unless you've put in the time in the beginning and i'm not I'm not advocating for go out and try to find a way to spend twenty hours at work because that's no no way to live your life. But in the beginning, when you're growing a business and you're building it's gonna be hard. It's going to be harder than you've ever thought. It's going to uh, put more stress on you than you've ever thought. Um, It's going to stress your, at times, your marriage. Um, It's going to be, make uh, time with your kids uh, difficult and, and you really have to find ways to, to make sure that that becomes a priority. But then I think when you get over the hump, you really start to see, you know, I can look at our, I can look at our P&L now and see, um, I can see growth on the top line and I can see um, maybe minimal growth on the bottom line, but our personal growth of how, not how few amount of hours I spend here, but how much less time I have to spend uh, working in the business and how much more time I've been able to get home for dinner and go to my daughter's swim meet and go to soccer practice. That's the stuff that that without the struggles in the beginning, I don't think that I would really appreciate it now.
0: Well, and I think it puts life into perspective and, um, Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where, and I'm going to reference a movie is there's this movie with Adam Sandler that's called click and he gets this magic remote control and he can fast forward the things he doesn't want to do in his life. And then as the, then as he gets older and keeps doing it the remote remote control auto programs so it automatically knows the things now that he wants to fast forward and next thing you know his whole life has gone by but what happens when you spend those 20 hours away from stuff you learn to appreciate the things that you're away from and I think it's sort of like that by the end of the movie it's like oh my gosh I missed the things that I was trying to fast forward through were actually the things that I needed to be a part of and enjoy and be in the moment and it's sort of like that like Having that perspective of working, you learn to appreciate your family time more. You you treat it more valuably. You you come up with things to do that make it more memorable. And I think that's that's sort of a side thing. I like I said, and like Josh said, I don't think you want to aim for twenty hours a day, but if you have to do it to get through somewhere, you're you're learning things. Uh, you're beginning to value your time with your family even more, and you're actually in in a indirect way teaching your kids a lesson about work ethic and so there's like sort of all those things that are that are combined and i'm sure as your kids get older they see their mom and dad you know busting their ass for this business and and making something of themselves you know and you know whether or not they want to be chefs or restaurateurs or whatever or not they're learning that lesson i think that's pretty cool
1: oh yeah 100 percent. yeah hopefully I, i i hope that they decide to 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 follow some other some other path. I try to keep encouraging them to become electricians and plumbers because it seems like we're losing all the trades. So, it, and people laugh when I say that, but I tell them all the time like, you know, there's some there's some jobs out there that we have a hard time when we reach out to try to get an electrician to get a plumber, like keep that stuff in mind. So, and you're going to work just as hard, you know, whatever it is, especially if it's something that you're passionate about. So,
0: well, and that's a whole thing that, and it's interesting because I've been having a lot of these same conversations with people are like, oh, my kid doesn't want to go to college, but, you know, and I have a master's degree. And what does that mean? Well, do they, if they want to go to a technical school, I have a friend from grad school whose son decided he wanted to go to technical school and become an electrician because it's not that he doesn't want to be an entrepreneur it's that he just wants to go get skills that he sees a need for and he doesn't want to come out of school with $150,000 in debt. Right you know, So he's <laughs> like, okay, I just, this is what I want to do. I want to learn this business and maybe I can grow it into my own thing. And I know there's a need out there, you know, and there's tons getting a welder right now is nearly impossible anywhere. You know, that's like, there's a huge shortfall there. Um, maintenance people, you know, like you said, and electricians and plumbers. So I feel like, there's this whole huge uh, need out there for those skill sets and an opportunity. And there's always going to be work. I mean, there's we use electricity in every home. We have plumbing in every building, you know, so on and so forth. So anyway, to, to concrete your point, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you, Josh, you talked Josh. about the wood um, yeah. and that you're doing it all over wood fires. Um, mm-hmm. Why would, I mean, just for the audience, um, why is it better than using say propane or electric or, or gas? Like what is, what's the value of using wood in your cooking and what is the value for barbecue of slow cooking it over that wood?
1: Well, you know, part of it's just the, the, the craft and the fact that obviously, you know, in our opinion, uh, wood is the only way to do, you know, true barbecue, uh, it's the it's the real craft like the and, and that's something that we've always valued in everything that we do you know we value um, traditional techniques uh, in any kind of cooking my wife and I both have fine dining backgrounds so it makes most no sense for us to kind of carry that through in in the way that we cook meat so uh, I think the flavor in and of itself is so much different and there's a certain there's a higher level, there's a high-level skill set that has to go in with cooking with just wood. Um, it's quite a bit different than than getting a big uh, commercial smoker and turning on the propane and setting it, forgetting it. Um, and I think that uh, you know, it, it's hard. It's harder, um, but the end result is, is a much higher quality product.
0: So, okay, let's take it a step further then. Yep so why then so now you've chosen wood and i see i saw on your website that you use a cured red and white oak why oak versus another type of wood i mean i really want to dive into this a little bit and educate people on this because everyone has a gas barbecue propane barbecue at their home and so when they go to a restaurant and someone's cooking with wood what they're getting out of it and why it's better what does it do to the flavor you know let's really dive into it from an educational standpoint
1: yeah sure so when we started off when we started off cooking we used maple because uh, we started cooking in our backyard on a little offset smoker and we had a bunch of maple in our backyard my father-in-law had some old dried old i dried seasoned maple at his house i brought it home and that's just how we started and it's kind of Similar to the fact in, you know, cooking with local ingredients or cooking seasonally, like you cook the stuff, cook with stuff that's around you. So we have no shortage of maple around this area. We have no shortage of red oak and white oak. And the, the, one of the values, there's a couple of different values. One thing, the red oak and the white oak, they burn, uh, they burn nice and hot. They burn, they burn a lot longer than the maple, which is one of the reasons that we switched to maple burns up really quick. It'll burn really hot, but it'll burn quick and, and it'll, it'll run out. So you figure as from a from a business standpoint, when you're buying the wood that you're going to be using, you know, the quantities um, when you can find something that you like the flavor on and it, and it gives you a little bit better yield, uh, you're definitely going to look at that. And the second thing really is the flavor. Uh, a lot of people, if you get down, you know, Texas is very heavy in Mesquite. Um, a lot of places use hickory. I, uh, I think that those flavors really overwhelm the meat and a lot of places that use that kind of wood um, typically will use um, not all the time, but typically will use a lesser quality meat because they can hide hide some of that um, with a with a heavier smoke and a heavier flavor. So we use the white oak and the red oak and we use high quality ingredients. So there's no reason to try to hide hide any of that stuff. We use prime brisket only we use um local chicken from ohio we use um pork from ohio whenever possible whenever we can keep it up and so that you know those are a few reasons for for our wood choices
0: i think that's amazing and let's dive a little more into your menu based on i think that's a good segue right there and again we talked about it at the last episode um and since the last episode i've noticed you've also updated your website which we can sort of dive into that also but yeah. let's talk about your menu and sort of how you came up with your menu items because i don't think like the general public really understands what it takes to sort of design out a menu and and not put everything including the kitchen sink on there and and sort of how you come up with what makes sense in your menu um so can you walk us through that just yeah. i feel it's another educational point the audience would like
1: yeah for you know for us one thing that we want to do is whatever that we put on our menu we want it to be the the best possible version that's out there so if we couldn't do what we thought was the best brisket or the best pulled pork or the best turkey or chicken, we wouldn't put it on our menu. Which is why we've kind of slowly grown the menu over the years. Same thing with the side dishes. When we were in the trailer, obviously we had smaller space, so we had uh, a limit, more limited quality or not quality, quantity on what we could do. So we've always had the pork. We've always had the brisket. Um, you know, we add. We had ribs a couple of days a week, which we still do. Um, we do rib tips a couple of days a week, again same thing um, as we did before. But you know, the chicken and the turkey were a couple of things that, until we got those to a point where we were comfortable that they were the best version that we could do, we didn't put them on the menu full time. Uh, so now, all the meats that are on there is something that we think you know it's a category killer. It's the best. It's the best in the market that, that we can put out there same thing with the side dishes uh we when we started off i remember when we started off as a trial on the trail that we didn't even have potatoes out on our menu uh, because we weren't we didn't think that we had created the best version that we could create we know that if we put our minds to it that when we work on it we can figure out a recipe that that we think is the best and until we got to that point i don't think it was i know we opened in may 16 i don't think It was a couple months until we finally had uh, a potato salad recipe that we were happy with then. Because again, we start with, we always go back to the technique. So like our spicy baked beans, uh, I don't think there's a lot of other people around that. buy dried pinto beans and soak them overnight and then cook them from raw to get them to the point where, you know, we'll, we'll cook them on a, on a burner for three hours. And then they go into the oven for another three and a half hours until they're the right, the right texture that we want, where they have a little bite on the outside and they're creamy on the inside. You know, so it's just it's attention to detail and the desire to really create the best version of everything that that goes into every decision that go before we put something on the menu.
0: Yeah. So one of the things on your menu is hoe cakes, and I yeah. think. Like, probably not a lot of people know what a hoe cake is. And I, and I yeah. do, and I love them, and I think they're incredible. But could you, I mean, I think it's a cool thing, and it's definitely barbecue-related, uh, especially in the middle United States and, and East Coast. So would you tell us a little bit about what a hoe cake is?
1: Yes. So so a lot of places, or a lot of people will come, and they'll, and they'll ask for or they'll expect um, cornbread, that we'll have cornbread. Uh, And and one thing that if you've had cornbread in a lot of barbecue restaurants and in in our experiences, in our opinion, is it's always, uh, especially in the middle of the country here, it's always too sweet. It's always like cake, uh, which is not something that we've ever enjoyed or the or the alternative is that you get it and it's so dry that it was cooked in the morning and then it's served at 5 p.m. still and it's crumble and it's really not. It's really not a great choice for eating a barbecue, which where you look at a lot of places that serve barbecue, your top-notch places, your Franklin barbecues and the like, you know, the Texas style, you get white bread with your barbecue because that's something that you can throw a slice of brisket in. It'll sop up some juice. Cornbread's not meant for that. So what we said is we wanted to do something that, that, that kind of fits that mold, but we didn't want to do the white bread slices because we're not in Texas. You know, we're not pretending to be a Texas barbecue place. So the corn, so we did the hoe cakes instead, and it's a it's a cornmeal, essentially a, a savory cornmeal pancake. And we what we put with it on the side is a little whipped sorghum butter. So for the people that you know that you like a little sweet to go with it, put a little dab of that uh, sorghum butter on there, and uh, and you and you get a, the kind of the best of both worlds with the savory the savory corn flavor, and then you get a little bit of the sweet butter.
0: I love that and. Um, I just I really wanted to dive into that because I think it's when I saw it on the menu, it's exactly that. It's not cornbread, it's not white bread, but there's this combination. It's in my opinion, it's what restaurants and, and businesses, particularly in food, need to be innovated. Don't do what everyone else does. Do what's true to you and what you want to do. And and yours is about technique and preserving that within the barbecue and barbecue food business, which we've talked about. You know, the sides and making sure that those are right, and what it means to use uh, wood burning um, and uh, cook the meats over wood, and what does it mean to then, you know, why hoe cakes? And I think all of them, even the pinto beans for the the, uh, barbecue baked beans, you know, it's, you know, how is it? And there's a twist, and I believe when we talked about them before, I think there was a jalapeno in them, and and so there's these things that you do that are true to you. And you're not just replicating what someone else does. And, and being in Ohio, you're sort of, the barbecue's a little bit different. So you don't want to take, you know, Nashville or, or Texas or, or, you know, North Carolina or wherever's barbecue style, Georgia barbecue, um, and make it yours. You want to be true to your location, but you also want to be true to yourself and your creativity. So I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, for us, you know, we're we're a lot of the if you go to if you go to specific region, if you go to you know Texas, you go to North Carolina, South Carolina, you're gonna get a lot of weird looks if you if you go to North Carolina and cook Texas style barbecue. People might be more um, might be more apt to now in these days a younger generation to be uh, accepting of that, but most of the time they're gonna look at barbecue as something that this is a tradition, this is the way it's done. This is our region. We're proud of it. And, and good for them. You know, they should be for us. We don't have anything like that that's holding us back. So for us, it's what do we want to make that's the best. What do we think is the best version of this? Like and we can we can choose to incorporate all of it. You know, we have we have three different sauces. We have got a sweet sauce, a sweet sauce that's ketchup based, that's uh, used sorghum as a sweetener. We also have a vinegar, like a vinegar, uh, spicy vinegar sauce. that's similar to like a vinegar pepper sauce uh, that they use down in, uh, in South Carolina on the whole hog barbecue. And then we also have a mustard sauce. So we kind of have the freedom to do all that. And if you're a purist and you're from Texas, maybe you have a problem with that. But when you're from Ohio, I think everybody's pretty cool with trying something a little bit different and just saying like this is unique to what we do.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I think the creativity, and we're going to see a lot of that. I mean, it's like, and it's interesting because, you know, Texas barbecue is this this thing, and I agree with you, they have a problem. But, what, I mean, what's Tex-Mex? They basically took Texas food and mixed it with Mexican food, and now we have Tex-Mex right. food. So it's a little bit of what's going on in the world, and I think it's extremely creative because there's so many flavors and flavor profiles that are coming out when we're sort of seeing what you're doing, which is sort of mixing that palette and, and, you know, staying true to the origin, staying true to the technique, but, but giving it a little extra, you know, distance for lack of a better term, where it's, um, it's, it's giving, um, what should I say? It's giving respect to both types, you know, in in a way. And I love that. And I think we're going to see a lot of that in, We do a lot of that in the United States. I mean, pizza here isn't pizza in Italy. You know, pasta here isn't pasta in Italy. You know, Chinese food certainly here is not Chinese food in China. You know, we we take things and we we change it to the palate that's going on. And people, creative people back then even did it. So this is not something that's new. We've been doing it for tens of thousands of years, I'm sure. You know, as humans, just taking something and, and making our own twist on it.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think I think with technology and the access, you know, especially with the smartphone, you know, we've all got the ability to look on Instagram a hundred times a day and we see something that, you know, the, the food world especially is shrinking. You know, we see stuff from this corner. We, you know, we can see stuff from different corners of the world uh, instantly as it's happening. And I think that, you know, everybody's interested in looking at it and and saying like, oh, I'd like to bring some of that here. I think where it goes wrong, I think is when when people don't have an understanding of the origin of what the food is and it's just their version of a picture that they saw on Instagram, I think no. we end up with a lot of I think we end up with a lot of food that's coming from a from a, a, non, a non an inauthentic place
0: yeah I agree with you. And I think that's part of what it is. I mean, and we were just in, Deborah and I um, with the kids and two of their friends were just in Brazil. And you go to Brazil and there's Brazilian food, which is sort of your meat barbecue on on a stick, for lack of a better term. They come around the table and cut it onto your plate. So that's sort of what you think of as Brazilian food, a lot of meat and, you know, sort of heartier food in that way. But there's, you know, there's more Italian food than you can, you know, even shake a stick at and there's lots of different varieties there within of people that have come there and built restaurants around different ethnicities and we see it everywhere in the world you know whether you're in thailand and you i mean i think every country in the world probably has a mcdonald's and a kfc at this point so it's um and that's not it's just people have an urge for for different flavors not only they're the ones that are true to them and i think it's a pretty cool thing in 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 what you're doing so that being said i mean do you have anything in the mix now that you're doing that you see as a, a potential growth of your menu or something you're working on that you're hoping to get on the menu in the next few months um or expanding anything
1: so we actually one thing that we've That we've done, uh, we did last year, uh, so I had the opportunity last year to do a really great uh, business growth program through um, Goldman Sachs and Babson College. And it really started to push me finally, I think, out of my comfort zone. And so last year we did four uh, pop-up biscuit shops here on Sunday. So we're typically closed on Sunday. Uh, It's something that we want to always maintain being closed on Sunday because that's our family day. Uh, but we did we did a pop up biscuit shop where uh, we had you know, talk about a growth curve. Uh, the first day we opened, uh, we said we're going to be open at nine o'clock. Uh, we anticipated to be open from nine o'clock to one o'clock. Uh, we went out to look about eight o'clock in the morning. There was people lining up out the front door and we had to put up a sold out sign. I think after we were open for 15 minutes because we had so much traffic that we couldn't even begin to keep up. I think we had about, uh, I think we had about 20 biscuits ready to start. We thought maybe we'd sell about 50 to a hundred that day. The first customer walked in, they ordered 10 biscuits. And and from there, it was just kind of like that, that ball that starts going downhill and uh, you're kind of in the weeds and there's no way to get out of it. So we ended up doing three more of those last year and each one got a little bit more successful. Uh, we kind of worked through the systems and got a little bit better each time. Uh, I think the last the last one we did, I think people started. We opened at nine o'clock, and if I remember right, people started lining up around six fifteen in the morning. So it was really cool. And
0: get out and, of here! I'm like, this is uh, like the Popeyes chicken sandwich th- thing yeah. that was going
1: on. And and it and the the interesting thing about it was, and I think there's a lot to be learned from it, is that um, it could have been a complete disaster. Because we, the first day we failed execution wise. But what I think that we, where we didn't fail was that um, we communicated with everybody. We reached out to people on social media who, you know, who were in line, who waited two hours to get stuff that, because we, we weren't prepared and we, we made it a win so that the next time it happened, we were prepared. Next time we had free coffee for people, we had, uh, chalk and bubbles for the kids to play with while they were waiting in line we obviously we got really lucky that we had really good weather uh which is what's stopped us from doing anymore now because being with our location if we 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 started up on a sunday morning we could have you know we could have six inches of snow and the whole thing would be kind of a waste or it's going to be 15 degrees outside so we're kind of waiting for the weather to come back around before we bring it back but it's also really a way that We've been looking to test a new concept that we want to bring to the market. And, you know, we've had we've been working uh, for going on, uh, wow, going on almost a year and a half with with a broker as far as trying to find a new spot uh, to expand. Either expand the current business or or open up something new, and it's really all going to be built off of that biscuit pop up that we started.
0: So let's talk about this, and and if you don't mind, I mean, what I mean, okay, I'm like, I guess maybe. So is it just the biscuit, or is it biscuit with something else, or is it just Thanks. the biscuit itself?
1: No, so it's so it's biscuit, so it's uh, biscuits and like uh, biscuits and gravy, and then uh, and then we have like four or five biscuit sandwiches. So we would do like a brisket biscuit with pimento cheese and a fried egg, a brisket, uh, brisket pimento cheese and a fried egg on top we did a a sausage you know a sausage egg and cheese we did a bacon uh we did a a fried green tomato and bacon with a pepper jelly on it with a pimento cheese and an egg so it all slants very southern because that's the kind of food that we like to eat and it's all based off the fact that i think my wife makes the best biscuits that i've ever had and we've spent a lot of time again in the south going to a lot of different biscuit places, trying what they had, um, being impressed the first time. And then when we go back after she's worked through this recipe thinking like, okay, I think that we have the best version now. So it's really trying to bring that, bring something that we love to other people and share it with them. You know, when we make, we make the bacon, we make the sausage, You know, we make, we stick to the same philosophy that we've had with everything else. And we're kind of trying to stick with that same idea of let's start small. Let's test the concept. Let's see how it goes. Let's get feedback and then go from there.
0: Oh man, I am loving this concept. I'm like foaming at the mouth because I think that what you're doing with the biscuits is a brilliant idea. And I think it was Chattanooga, Tennessee. Deborah and I stopped for a night there. Um, God, was it Chattanooga? And I don't know why we stopped there. Maybe a food conference or something. But anyway, we there was this biscuit company there, and we went and had and it was a local business, and they did nothing. Everything had biscuits in it, and you know whether it was sausage and gravy or, or the sandwiches and what you're talking about. And they yeah. obviously have their own twist on food. And but it was seriously life changing for me. It's something as basic as a biscuit. And the yeah. biscuit has a great flavor in and of itself, but when it becomes part of the vehicle to deliver great taste and stuff, and its composition, you know, what it's made of and its texture, and the way, if it's done right, can complement the food, I think is outstanding. I'd love this. And the other part I love is that you talked about getting outside your comfort zone and just taking the step forward. And now, you've got this concept going and you're like, let's expand this. And, and just say, I don't know whether it's going to be this concept or expanding our current business, but we need to move forward. And, and I want to really talk about that as, as business people or any entrepreneurs that are listening in. Most of the time you just know you need to move forward. You're not really sure where you're going, you know? And, and, and it's just like, I know I need to move forward. And it's the same with the podcast. You can ask Deborah. one day I woke up, I'm like, I need to do this. You know, within two days I'm building a studio in our garage and she's like, what the heck is going on? And I'm like, I just feel that I need to move forward with this. I'm not 100% sure what it is, but I need to move forward. And there's a lot of things like that. You actually don't know what it's going to look like when it's done. You can have a plan to drive you forward and make sure you take the steps forward to where you want to get to, but it doesn't always look the way you want it to often because you pivot and move. But by just moving forward... It's it's pretty important. I think that that's one of the stories here and lessons from this episode is like, here's someone that we talked to a year ago, look how far you come by just all of a sudden having the courage and almost the internal permission to to get uncomfortable. And I think that's pretty cool. So... On that topic, Josh, could you tell us a little bit more about that program through Charles Schwab? And I believe it's 10,000 Small Businesses or something like yeah, that, yeah. if I remember correctly from the first episode.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think last time when we talked, I think I had just either started doing it or I or was getting ready to. But um, it was really something that was like really life-changing for me. Um, so it's, it's uh, through uh, Goldman Sachs and Babson College, and it's called 10,000 Small Businesses. And the idea was uh, Goldman Sachs was going to invest back into, essentially invest back into the American economy and and help create a program to help grow, uh, you know, quite literally 10,000 small businesses across the country. So I had an opportunity. I found out, out about it through a program that my wife had done, Nicole, through the Small Business Association called Emerging Leaders, which was another program similar to that. And I actually, I was really jealous that she had done something like that, that was really kind of, again, pushing her out of her comfort zone and learning new stuff. She had somebody in her class that, you know, Josh should try this 10,000 small businesses. So I applied, I got in, it's for businesses that I, I believe you have to be in business two or three years, maybe something along those lines. Have a There's certain thresholds you have to meet as far as, like, uh, amount of employees, um, revenue, and then what it became was I had a small, a small, tiny group of seven people, and we had uh, a weekly call with each other, and then we also had a a, a weekly call with a, a larger group of, you know, 40, I think it was 42 to 45, and then we were ultimately part of a group of a cohort that was 160 people. So we did calls and we did online learning for, I believe we did four weeks. And then we went to Boston for a week at Babson college, hosted at Babson college. And it was basically just four straight days of, uh, learning modules and learning, going through different facets of the business. Um, you know, going through financials, going through, um, hiring, uh, hiring process, you know, um, Mitigating risk for your business. And then, so we did, you know, we did the week there. We came back, did another three, four, five weeks of online training, and then went back to Boston again for another week. Uh, and, you know, at the end, we all did it, it's not a pitch as far as, um, not a pitch in like as far as you think of like a Shark Tank pitch of pitching the business for investment, but essentially just like pitching your business of like, here's where we're going and here's how we're going to get there and it really makes you think uh you know leading up to that we had always kind of grown the business organically and we just kind of went like okay now we need another refrigerator so let's get another refrigerator we had never we had never done anything with any sort of um concrete direction it was kind of like we had the ship pointed in a direction but we really didn't know where we were going with it and this really put us back on track to understand like, okay, here's the actions that we need to take. If we want to grow this business, you know, if we want to become more successful, we have to start acting like a successful business. So we've spent, we actually, after uh, almost a year, we've just now finally got our handbook done, which seems like a small thing. And, you know, people joke or oh, you have a handbook, but like that was something that was really important to us to complete was to put this stuff into a handbook. So that growing forward and growing a business, whether it's, expanding this one or growing a brand new business that we have some of that stuff in writing that we can start to have something concrete to pass on as far as like the culture of the company and it was really uh, uh, honest i can't speak highly enough about it and if anybody out there is interested or would like any opinions on it feel free to to contact me but definitely check it out there's a lot of local there's a lot of local chapters across the country where you don't have to travel you can go Um, They just actually started a new one uh, within Cincinnati and Columbus. It's bouncing back and forth. So if you're within a drive, a reasonable drive, you can go to your local, a local 10,000 small business course. Uh, You don't have to travel, but it's really, it was really a life changing experience.
0: And so Josh, because I, I really am interested in this and I think it's, it's so important that we understand that a lot of us have specialized things particularly in food where we're specialized in food but being able to get that 360 degree um, review of a business and financials and strategy and stuff I think is important and we often forget that you know running a business even though we're in the food business I mean I don't produce a single f- piece of food myself hardly ever do I go in and, and help Uh, In the kitchens, when they need help to produce a food item here and there for a client, when we're we need to get something done on our deadline, absolutely. But I'm not actually producing food, you know, so I have a different perspective. But that's a microcosm of what we're talking about here is that you know, you have marketing and you have advertising and you have a website and you have financial, and then on top of that, you're building a menu and needing to figure out a strategy, and then really look at something and then drive the business in that direction with all those tools you've been given. And I, and I absolutely love that. I think it's so important.
1: Yeah. And the, the I'll tell you, Justin, the, the, the most couple of interesting things that I took from it. Number one is I learned the most and I was most interested in learning about every other business that was there other than food. And I, and I say that because everybody eats out, everybody goes out to restaurants. So that's a potential consumer that you can learn from, but it's also, it helps you see around the corner for other problems that may arise in your business later on that are, are not food related whatsoever. And the other thing that it was really interesting was that whether you had a company that, that did a half a million dollars to $5 million to $10 million annually, we all had the exact same problems. Everybody was dealing with the same problem. Then you wouldn't think of it, but everybody has cash flow issues. Everybody has HR issues. Everybody's having a hard time finding people. It didn't matter the industry. And it was really, really interesting to look at how people in a different industry are taking those challenges head on and and thinking about, wow, I'd never even thought about that. And if you talk to just other people in the food business, it's most likely that you're, you might come up with a solution, but you're all kind of your problems are so so specific as you, it kind of ends up you just like complaining with each other back and forth about the same problems and it's not productive. But when you're in a situation where someone who has a video game business is talking to you and you really you're really invested to help how can I help them solve this problem? It really is just such an amazing peer learning experience. I, I, I really can't, I don't know if I'm doing a good justice of putting it into words, but it, it was fantastic.
0: No, and what, what I love about what you're saying is because what happens is when we're in food and we get our nose in there so deep in this, when I went to grad school, um, like 2012 through 2014, I've been in food for over a decade. But what happens when you experience life with other people and other businesses like you don't see the same things that they're seeing in their business and stuff can be applied or innovations or strategies that they're doing in a different industry to your business that gives you that competitive advantage that gives you that spark, for example, of an idea that helps you move your business forward. And, you know, like the, the pop up, you know, biscuit thing that resulted out of this, you said. So it's, it's this weird spark that happens when you're around people that, one want to do the same thing you do with their business or their life and grow it and yeah. you know take the next step so that helps because now you're in you know it's like being on a basketball team of really competitive guys you're going to do better and grow more than being on a basketball team with not so competitive guys and so because you have to push yourself and it's the same idea you're pushing yourself because you all want to go in that direction that's one number two is the diversity of the industry in information. And then number three is being able to literally take that information and apply it to your business right away because you're a business owner. I mean, you're literally yeah. being able to put it into practice right away, which I think is incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, when you, and when you put yourself in a group like that, you know, I would urge everybody to, to, to find a group of, of other business people to talk to, Um, maybe you can meet once a month, be the catalyst, be the driver of it. But one thing I found is that it changes your accountability and you don't want to, you find yourself not wanting to let those people down, that you came back and said, like, I didn't do anything different. Like when I came, we came back from, we came, I came back from Boston the first time and we said, we're doing a pop-up. And the first thing we did was create a Facebook event for it and hit go. Because it made us committed to it. Yeah. And, I, and I knew that even if we fell on our faces, that I could go back and say, we did it, we tried, and let's go from there. But it really changes your accountability level, which I, which I found really cool.
0: And I love that you said that. Because one of the things that I've learned is in driving a team, you need to set end goal dates and you need to push the go. Like even me saying on this podcast, we're doing a food and beverage entrepreneur summit the first week of June. Like I've said it out there. So now I'm committed. So now everyone's got to figure out how we're going to make this happen. And obviously we have a plan, but I'm putting it out there. And I put a lot of dates, whether we have like farmers coming to our facilities or we're doing some sort of networking event or whatever it is. But you need to put them on there and force yourself to do it. Otherwise, if you have no end date and you're not forcing yourself, you never actually – move forward because you're like oh I'm, i can put it off because it's so easy to put something off so um
1: oh yeah it's much much easier much easier to put it on the back burner and and we all have plenty of people that can tell us help us feed our excuses for why we can't do it oh yeah and there's plenty that will tell us like well I, I you're busy you know like my wife is a very good example of somebody who will not does not let me have those excuses for any reason and just say like well you can do it just do it you have to do it yeah. No one else is going to do it for you. You have to do it.
0: And I love that. And actually, Josh, I'm thinking that I'll probably follow up with you because I want to continue on this topic around the schooling and the education piece in your business and what you're learning. So I will reach out to you after the podcast done and try to set something up um, over the next month to get you back on. That's one. Okay. But two Great. is because um, I also want to dive into what you're trying to do with a podcast and that growth that you're taking because I think what you're doing there is huge. And so I want to come back on the episode and let the listeners know that we have, I want to expand this topic, um, particularly around leadership, particularly about falling forward, particularly about um, what you're going to do with this podcast to help your community and, um, and maybe even other communities if it, if it gets enough reach. So I want to do that, but, um, but I think we need to really just, get into a whole other episode and talk about leadership, talk about the program more in detail, talk about your learning experiences, um, really dive into more of this biscuit concept that you guys are doing. And then obviously the thing you're doing with the podcast, if that's okay with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Because there's so much information there that I think is helpful. And I think, you know, one of the smartest things that you're doing as a person is knowing that you don't know anything or know everything, I should say that. I always say, I don't know anything. But (laughs) um, (laughs) I said that I didn't mean to be um degrading in any way but what i meant is is no, that no, we no. we have to in order to learn like we have to keep moving forward and some of the stuff we learn today within two days it, it becomes expired because that's how fast information moves these days but i think the willingness to know you don't know and go out there and constantly seek it is an important thing and whether it's books or it's programs like you're talking about i really just want to dive into it further with you because you've gone through it and we had one episode where you, before you did it and now where you are now, I think is enormous. I mean, just talking to you, I think the growth has been huge for you and you're only at the beginning. So, yeah. um, today's day one, as I always hear people say, what, is, how long have you been in business day one? Cause every day I want to treat like it's the first day. So I keep moving forward and learning. So, That's true. and it's, um, you know, so I think that's important. So, Josh, I wanted to thank you for coming on the episode. And I will text you to set up another episode recording because I think we need to get that on the books um, maybe for a couple that's weeks lovely. from now. And yeah, thank,
1: you. thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I loved the episode. And. Um, I just think what you're doing is brilliant and the humility and it's just really amazing and comforting. And I hope the audience really hears what you're doing as a person and the willingness to learn, staying true to yourself and your family, but making sure that you're taking innovative steps forward um, both as a person and as a business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Like I said, thank you. Thank you for having me and I look forward to talking again. And I uh, expect to see me uh, in June at the, at the food and beverage uh, summit. So uh, I'm going to hold you to that, to <laughs> putting that together.
0: All right, we, got, it. <laughs> we got our, we got our first ticket holder right here. Now the pressure's <laughs> really right, <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm very serious about it. So I just, I want to help people and I, you know, that's more fulfilling than any dollar I've, I've ever made, you know, or we've made 100%. it as a business and being able to help someone grow and, You know, on that note, um, why I have the podcast, I just wanted to quick say this to the audience. Um, You know, it's just one of those things, the Kobe Bryant thing and him passing away yesterday and his daughter on the same helicopter. That's one of the hardest things. Um, I can't even imagine what that's like for his wife and his other children. Um, But I will say that the trials and tribulations he went through as a person really humanized that we all can be great and yet we all can still be human that's important And i think the second part is is he really built a legacy for his family and for a lot of people and inspired a lot of people and and trying to help people and do the right thing in the long run and i think that that's just an important thing as well and Again, uh, we'll dive more into that type of stuff on the next episode because it's what you're trying to do also, Josh, with your podcast. So um, thank you everyone for listening in and have a great day.